and its uh, Divine Mercy Sunday, as proclaimed by John Paul II. And why, why did he dedicate a whole, especially in a, this important of a Sunday, to Divine Mercy? It's both because of this powerful revelation that was received by Sister Faustina, now, now St. Faustina, in her prayer, but also because of the scriptures that were given today. They're very specifically kind of oriented to mercy and reconciliation. So God loves us perfectly, but his love is manifest most kind of intensely and perfectly in his mercy. And and it's manifested in the world to the degree that we need it. So John Paul II, who lived through this horrendous 20th century, and kind of saw firsthand the destruction of the 20th century. First, you know, the Nazis invade Poland, and he has to live through that uh, for quite a long time. And then after World War II, when they thought perhaps they'd be freed from oppression, the Western world just kind of abandoned them to communist Russia for another few decades. So he got to live under that uh, great regime. Uh, but he saw that wherever sin abounds, which, and sin abounded greatly, you know, in both of those regimes, grace abounds all the more. And so he saw that this revelation that was kind of given to Faustina, the revelation of God's divine mercy, was, was timely for the world that had experienced so much tragedy in that horrible century. But also our gospel today is perfect for this feast, you know, John Paul chose it wisely, I guess where he would put this feast, in both recounting the sacrament of reconciliation, kind of the institution of that great sacrament, and also the Apostle Thomas's kind of reconciliation to the Lord, and from his lack of faith to his great act of faith, and we see that in the gospel today. But when we look at these readings, we, we kind of ask, we ask a couple general questions. First of all, what is mercy? We talk a lot about mercy, but what actually is it? And then, how do we receive it? Is there kind of demands upon us in receiving mercy? Uh, And then, how do we give it to others? How do we actually act out in mercy? What does that mean, to be merciful? So first, before addressing the gospel, I don't feel the need to go into detail on the story of Sister Faustina, but I will give a little anecdote. While I was kind of in the midst of my conversion, kind of grappling with things, I, I found myself in the Adoration Chapel in Billings, and I wasn't really familiar with prayer, so I, after about five minutes, I got desperately bored, and I was just digging around for books to distract me with. And I found St. Faustina's Diary of Divine Mercy, kind of her accounting of everything that the Lord gave her in prayer. And in kind of classic roulette style, I just opened it up and started reading some random spot in the middle of it. And it was this experience that she recounted of begging the Lord's mercy upon this particular man that she knew who, who was near death and, and had remained unrepentant and, and she didn't know what to do about it. So she was asking the Lord kind of what, what she should do to bring this man's heart to him. And God told her that if she wanted to move this man's heart, that her penance would need to be intense and her prayer unrelenting. And she was up for the job. And I, I won't kind of go through everything that she did. But after reading that, I, the intensity with which she approached this act of mercy, I was kind of inspired, but at the same time, like, really intimidated 
and thought, you know, if this is what being a Christian is, I don't know if I'm capable. You know, I, I kind of got to the end of the story and just thought to myself that mercy is not for the faint of heart. It's not a fluffy spirituality. Uh, an act of mercy is, is a great and heroic thing. And that's certainly true. Augustine tells us that, that mercy is compassion for the misery of another. You know, in, when we're being merciful, we enter into the misery of another person, but we don't stop there. It's actually going in and removing the source of that misery. So in, in mercy, you actually do something. You're actually going in and attempting to remove the source of that person's misery. So compassion means, literally in Latin, cum passio, to suffer with someone. But then in mercy, we go above and beyond that and try to remove whatever that suffering is. And St. Gregory the Great tells us that that's really our mission as Christians. He says, he says, Just as the Son was loved by the Father, yet sent to suffer, so the Lord loved his apostles, yet sent them into the world to suffer. And so we as Christians follow in the footsteps of the apostles. So in our scripture today, we see the institution of the sacrament of reconciliation. The Lord gives his apostles the power to forgive sins. And it is the most concrete and practical, yet profound, kind of manifestation of God's mercy in the whole world. And how can I say that? Well, let's talk a little bit about about God's mercy. He tells us throughout the whole Old Testament, you see over and over again, the Lord speaking of his mercy. He says he's patient and rich in mercies. He forgives to the thousandth generation of those who who follow in his ways. So does does that mean that any sin, even the most wicked and horrible thing we can think of, can be forgiven? Or is there some, like, reasonable limit to what God's willing to forgive? This is actually a debate in the early church. You know, in the first couple centuries, we, we saw the church fathers talking about these things, especially related to reconciliation. And, and, and those who had rejected the faith in the, in the face of Roman persecution. And that's a reasonable discussion to have, because say, you know, St. Agdunus is your brother, and he dies for the Lord. You know, he's hung head first over a fire. And, and, and his buddy Carpathius just runs away and, and rejects, rejects his faith and runs away and survives. And then, you know, a year later when, when the persecution calms down, Carpathius comes back and wants to return to the church. And you think, my, my brother Agdunus gave up his life for the Lord and you think you can just come back after everything's over? That's a reasonable question to ask. But it was a hearty yes. Of course they can come back. Because we can't measure the Lord's mercy. We can't restrict his mercy. Did Peter, the apostle, not do the same thing? And then he went on to be a great saint. So I think St. Thomas Aquinas sums it up well. He says, In a manner God would be overcome by man. If we wished a sin to be forgiven which God were unwilling to forgive. He actually feels challenged by us when we do these things. Uh, that, that somehow it would be an offense to the cross if, if its mercy only extended so far and not infinitely. But I think for all of us, there's kind of this chasm, this gap between you know, believing in principle that God can forgive anything and then asking, but does God forgive me? But can he actually forgive me? There's kind of that, that 
gap between what we, what we believe in theory and what we can actually understand in ourselves, what we've experienced. And so we do need to experience the Lord's mercy firsthand. And we do that just in the midst of our Christian life. But I think we gain a pretty great insight into it with the story of the Apostle Thomas that we have today. You know, he just didn't believe that the Lord rose from the dead. So he's obviously miserable. We've got this whole week where all the other apostles saw Jesus. They know he's risen from the dead. They're probably pumped, joyful, having a great time. Thomas is over here in the corner having a miserable time because he just doesn't believe it. He just doesn't know. But Jesus shows up and approaches Thomas in mercy and says, Put your hand into my wound. Know that I am risen from the dead. He, he sees Thomas's misery and he enters into it with him. But then he removes the source of that misery by giving Thomas faith. And we see the great fruit that comes from this act of mercy. That Thomas saw Jesus risen from the dead, but then he proclaims him to be God. The most kind of ob- the clearest and most objective proclamation that Jesus is God in the whole of the New Testament comes from Thomas immediately after he had refused to believe he even rose from the dead. And so Gregory the Great tells us that the unbelief of Thomas, his lack of faith, is worth more to us than the faith of all the other apostles who believed because we see this great act of mercy. And what's key in that act? I think the key is repentance. That we see Thomas repent And we can't receive mercy without repentance. And so that's the difficult part of receiving mercy, I guess, that we have to repent first. But in fact, we can't even be, we can't, the Lord can't even give us his mercy unless we first repent. And then we can't, we can't bestow mercy upon others if we haven't received it first because we don't know what it is. And the, the book of Hebrews gives us this mysterious line Concerning Jesus, it says, Son though he was, Christ learned obedience through what he suffered. And when perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So Jesus learned obedience somehow. He's the Son of God. He is God. And yet he empties himself of that and becomes a servant and learns in some mysterious way to be obedient, even though he's infinite. Uh, He is the son of God by right, just by who he is. We're not. We're we're not sons and daughters by right. We're adopted into the sonship and daughtership of God through our baptism. And, And that baptism finds its source in the cross. But Jesus already died and rose. So why do we still have the cross here? You know, it's Easter. Why why don't why do we have the crucifix in our church during Easter when we celebrate the resurrection? It's because we still have to enter in, in a real way. We still have to make this great act of humility. Thomas Aquinas tells us it's it's impossible for God to pardon our offense if our will is not changed. So, how did John the Baptist prepare the way for Jesus? A baptism of repentance. What were Jesus' first words when he goes into ministry? Repent and believe in the gospel. Because that's the crucial act in which we begin the Christian life in a real way. Why is mercy impossible without repentance? Because if we don't acknowledge that we're sinners on some level, then, we, then we're never going to acknowledge that we actually need a Savior. 
so then Jesus can't save us. Uh, it's, it's literally impossible for him, because we're free to reject that. But if we make this great act of humility, uh, we'll find ourselves transformed in a very real way, in the way that Thomas was transformed. And then we will finally have the capacity to enter into other people's suffering and to then remove the source of that suffering, to work with them. So we had these two great sacraments today that we're celebrating. And I, I love that First Communion today. Because all reconciliation is, is a preparation of our hearts for this greatest gift that we have in the church, which is communion, the Eucharist. I just want to, ladies here who are receiving First Communion, know that nothing in this world will ever bring you closer to the Lord than communion. And this First Communion you're receiving today, really enter into it because you're receiving Jesus fully into your heart in the most concrete way this side of heaven. The God of the whole universe made himself into bread and wine so that we could enter into full communion with him that we could become one with him. So this is a great gift for us. And, and it's a powerful moment in your life. And, you know, it's, it's tough to enter into this moment, I think, fully. But savor it as much as you can. And everyone here, as we, as we kind of watch these young ladies receive their first communion, really kind of begin anew to try and believe deeply what we actually receive in the Eucharist and the power of that. Amen.